When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Myself Chakras, episode 175. Everything in life worth achieving requires practice. In fact, life itself is nothing more than one long practice session, an endless effort of refining our motions. When the proper mechanics of practice are understood, the task of learning something new becomes a stress-free experience of joy and calmness, a process which settles all areas in your life and promotes proper perspective on all of life's difficulties. The seven chakras, swirling vortices of energy, positioned throughout our body from the base of the spine to the crown of the head. For thousands of years, this ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple. What are the functions of these energy centers? And could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose? Welcome to my seven chakras, and now... Your host, Aditya Jai Kumar. What's up, action takers? AJ here, founder and host of My Seven Chakras, the show where we dive deep into the ancient world to uncover nuggets of wisdom that will change your life. This is your show where we believe that science and spirit go hand in hand and that failure is a stepping stone to success. So if this is the first time you're listening to the show, I want to assure you that there are no coincidences. You are here for a reason. So welcome to My 7 Chakras. Action Tribe, before we move on to the interview, I'm going to read out our latest iTunes review. Cat Willow writes, inspirational speakers with messages that twist the mind away from the same old wheel mindset. A chance to wake up to a new reality opened up for all desired beings. Host possesses rare and admirable skills. So Cat, you got that absolutely right. The focus of the show is to show you how you can wake up to a brand new reality, escape your old wheel mindset and really embark on your transformation. So if you want your review to be read out as well, make sure you leave us your views and your thoughts in the form of an iTunes review. There are two simple ways you can do it. If you're on your iPhone, just hit reviews and then hit write a review. You can also type in this link onto your browser to jump directly onto the iTunes review page. The link is my7chakras.com forward slash review. That's my7chakras.com forward slash review. So especially if you've taken action and you've seen some change in your life, make sure you take a minute or two to write in because every review matters. You see, your review is like a word of confidence that will help us rank better, get more exposure, and ultimately attract more action takers just like yourself. So make sure you cast your review vote and help us help you. And with that, we are now ready to welcome our featured guest for today, Thomas Sterner. So Tom, are you ready to inspire? I am ready to inspire. Yes. Thank you. That is amazing. So Thomas Turner is the founder and CEO of the Practicing Mind Institute. As a successful entrepreneur, he is considered an expert in the present moment functioning or PMF. He is a popular and in-demand speaker who works with high-performance individuals, including athletes, industry groups, and individuals, helping them operate effectively within high-stress situations so that they can break through to new levels of mastery. As an expert PMF coach, Thomas has brought clarity to thousands regarding how they can accomplish more with less effort in the least amount of time and with greatly reduced stress. So Thomas, welcome to our show. Before moving on, tell us a bit more about your story and maybe a fun fact. A uh, fun fact is that everything that I'm going to talk about, I wasn't very good at when I was younger. Um, <laughs> I learned through experience and through practice and through a very strong attachment to the observer portion of my personality uh, that, was, that allowed me to watch how I was reacting to situations and what internal dialogue was going on inside of me. And 
that's really how my whole story started. When I was younger, I was very right-brained. I was very creative-minded. And I was always starting off on new adventures and new projects. And then I was burning up the initial uh, inspiration and then basically walking away from it and feeling like a failure. But the observer portion of me was very aware that I was doing this. And it saw it as it saw that I had a voracious appetite to learn. And the ego portion of me was the more critical portion uh, that was looking at it, me as a failure. So that was really where I decided that uh, the part of me that made me feel like I have to change what I'm doing, I have to solve this part of my personality that's uh, is stealing my um, self-power away. And that was really how I started. Uh, and my learning when I was in high school, I knew this had to happen. I didn't know where to start. But the, the whole journey started when I was in college. And a friend of mine who was taking a philosophies course gave me a book on religions of the world. And that launched me into a lifetime study of Eastern thoughts, philosophies. And then probably when I was in my mid-20s, I began playing golf. And then I became very fascinated with sports psychology and peak performance studies. And I realized that they were both two sides of the same coin. Uh, we were saying with empirical science and testing what Eastern thoughts had said for thousands of years. And so I became um, very entrenched in that and I'm applying it to my life on a daily basis. And uh, that's what inspired me to write The Practicing Mind and, and then we're, we're lately uh, fully engaged. Wonderful. So thanks a lot for sharing your story. Uh, so before moving on, let's start with some inspiration. What is your favorite inspirational quote and also tell us how you apply this quote in your life well my favorite quote i i'm embarrassed to say is one that i wrote at the beginning the very beginning of the practicing mind and the reason for that was that it really summed up the transformation in me in changing the way i approached everything and what my experience of the process of achieving anything was and that quote goes like this everything in life worth achieving requires practice. In fact, life itself is nothing more than one long practice session, an endless effort of refining our motions. When the proper mechanics of practice are understood, the task of learning something new becomes a stress-free experience of joy and calmness, a process which settles all areas in your life and promotes proper perspective on all of life's difficulties. Wonderful. Wonderful. So thanks a lot for sharing this quote. You mentioned that everything in life worth achieving requires practice and when the proper mechanics are understood learning not only becomes easy but also we feel more fulfilled is that correct that's correct our experience of learning becomes very different because we have a we have a tendency when we we um start a new task um whether it's achieving a goal or learning a new skill we get become very attached to the moment that we actually have this skill, what we assume is this um, this period of time where we're going to be to say, I have now accomplished this skill or I've now accomplished this goal. And when we do that, we become at war with the process of achieving it. And that makes the, the time, we, we've actually um, identified ourselves as being here and this point that we need to get to is being out there in the future somewhere. And we have told ourselves that we can't be happy until we reach that point. And that's really all wrong. What we should do is we choose a goal and we use the goal as a rudder to steer our energy. Uh, if we don't have a goal, then basically what we do, we're a sailboat that is being driven by the wind, but it has no rudder. So it's being pushed around. The energy is there to move it forward or in any direction we want. But without the rudder, then we don't have um, any steerage and we have no no ability to get to someplace. So to me, our goals should be always seen as a rudder. But it's the process of sailing the boat is where the fun is. That's where mm. the joy is. That's where we experience. That's the reason why when we accomplish anything, the reason it has joy in it and has a sense of satisfaction is because of what we went through to get to that moment. Anything that we can do effortlessly uh, doesn't hold any interest to us. We, as you know, Our spirit wants a challenge. It's part of our expansion. And we need to stop fighting with that. We need to see that as a blessing and become immersed 
in that process of, of achieving our goals and using the goal itself as nothing more than a rudder to steer our effort. So I love what you just said. You said that there are two aspects over here. One is the goal, which is the end result, which is also important, but that should be more like a guiding signal or a lighthouse that should guide us towards where we are going. But the bottom line is to really enjoy the process, every step of it, every moment of it, so that we're not too much in the future, but we are here in the moment. Yes. So uh, I'm really curious, what inspired you to write your book, Fully Engaged? Well, Fully Engaged came, of course, after The Practicing Mind. When I wrote The Practicing Mind, which initially started out to be a book for musicians, because I am a musician, and in my job as being a high-level concert piano technician, and also as a remanufacturer of big concert grands, uh, you know, everything you do on a piano is at least 88 times, and usually it's hundreds of times. So you have to, and you're uh, working by yourself in solitude. So you spend a lot of time by yourself in these repetitive actions. And I needed to develop a system to keep myself engaged in what I was doing and not feel bored and restless and, uh, and anticipating the future. And I was also exposed to a lot of high-level musicians, but also on a day-to-day -day basis, I was exposed to people that were learning how to play the piano, and I saw people quitting. And I, I, had, I had gone through that myself. I understood this attachment, going back to what we said earlier, of this place and feeling like, when I can play this well, I'm going to be happy. I understood that and why um, it was never – it was unquenchable, and we would give up. And uh, and I felt like I had overcome that, and I understood, I had a completely different perspective, and I wanted to keep people involved in their musical endeavors, so I initially had the idea of writing The Practicing Mind. But when I began to write the book, I realized that, well, this is just the way I approach life at this point, and it has changed every, every aspect of my life. So I wrote the book for uh, all aspects of, of life, and I had no idea the impact it was going to have globally, or you know, the response to it and how many people were going to contact me. When that happened, initially, I was intimidated by writing a second book because I thought, well, I've written everything I had to say, and anything I write after that as a follow-up is going to be judged against the first book, and right. I don't know that there's that much more to say. But because of the response, I had a lot of exposure to people in one-on-one -on -one coaching sessions and group sessions and workshops and Q&A sessions, and then I started to see that people were constantly asking for more on the same subject and they were generally asking the same questions after reading The Practicing Mind. That's when I began to feel like um, these are the things that people want to uh, they, they want to know after they've written or read the first book, and I can t I can answer those questions through stories similar uh, to how how I did in the Practicing Mind, and that was when I began to feel both inspired to write fully engaged, and I also felt out of gratitude. I was just very grateful uh, for the response, and I I get letters all the time from people, email from people all over the world who have never met me. And they, their letters are so filled with gratitude and love. And they, they tell me very personal stories about themselves, even though they've never met me, and how the book and my work has impacted them. I think that's uh, – I, I really can't describe how amazing that feels. And I felt like uh, they were asking for more, and I needed to find a way to accomplish that. Wonderful. So – you mentioned that you had these concepts, these really powerful concepts in your earlier book, which uh, helped people not only in the music industry, but you know in all industries. But there were certain questions that people kept asking you during your uh, you know talks, during your workshops and presentations. And I completely agree. When a person learns a technique that's really powerful, it becomes even more powerful, even more inspiring and motivating when the person sees somebody implement those techniques and see results in the form of a story because stories really persuade and inspire. So my question is, diving a bit deeper, what is your definition of the term being fully engaged? Fully engaged means being completely absorbed in the process of what you're doing right here and now. When you do that, you have access to your full consciousness. Your mind um, produces less, less thoughts, your thoughts thin out because your mind is only processing what it's working on in front of it. It's not anticipating or problem solving in the future. I think people need to understand that our mind is uh, it, it's a problem solving machine. And we know this, of course, this was talked about, you know, through thousands of years of Eastern thought, but, you know, through studies in sports psychology, they now know that, you know, if you don't give your mind a problem to solve, it will go into search mode looking for one. And this is what happens all day long. And in general, we have 
habitualized this act of following the mind. The mind runs off into the future. It's anticipating something, a meeting or something that needs to get done, or it's thinking about something, a decision that we made last week that maybe has created a, a situation right now. So it's visiting all these things and it's it's either ruminating about something that happened in the past and, and saying, I should have done this or I should have done that, or else it's trying to get ahead of where we are because we have, in general, we have too much to do in a day. So our mind says, okay, well, you know, you're working on that right here and now. So while you're doing that, I'm going to run out in front here and see if I can get a, a leg up on this stuff that's coming down the road. And in, in general, as I said, we travel with it and we become absorbed in every thought that it creates and every thought that it creates has emotional content with it. And we experience that. And all of those things create this exhaustion and they steal productivity from us. And so when we become fully engaged, we let we cut all of that off, become very aware of what our mind is doing. We become the master of the mind and we focus it on what we're doing. And as I said, our thoughts thin out. We have access to our full consciousness. And it's because of that, our productivity goes way up. And also mm-hmm. the emotional content goes down. So our energy level goes up. It's, it's really this stuff has all been proven out through empirical studies for the Western mind. So we can say, okay, I get it now. It's, it's, not, it's not something that's in an ancient text. Just even though it's there, we can really see now that this is how we function at our highest level. So we really need to embrace it. Got it. Now, before learning about the how, let's spend some time in the why. Why is it important, especially in today's day and age, to be in the present moment as compared to maybe 20 years back? Well, one of the things that we've we're learning is that, you know, our minds are, we're gaining the ability to think faster and to operate Mm -hmm. in a hyper society because our society is hyper. And part of that is because we're connected into the media 24 seven. We've got smartphones and tablets and um, computers and television. And so our minds are being stimulated with, from multiple angles all the time. If you just look at something like you know, if you walk into a mall or you go to a sandwich shop, you know, you're not just standing there ordering something. There are televisions up on the screen. There is radio playing. Our mind is processing all this stuff all the time. And we are unaware that we're doing this because our mind is doing it in the background. But what is happening is our mind's ability to, to handle this is going up. But our mind's ability, our ability to reel our mind in and focus it for any length of time is atrophying because we're not asking it to do it and because our mind is moving faster. The, the thing, our mind is becoming more agitated because of all the input. And so we are losing this ability to concentrate. And this is the reason why we really need to pay attention to this because the studies are showing that this is is a paradigm shift that's happening. And I, for me, I look at back. I look back on the time when the printing press was created. And if you if you look at that before then, there were no books out there for people to read. So the brain didn't have to read words. And when the printing press came on on the um, site and began, when it, it we started to see books widespread, then our brain had to learn how how to understand phonetics and vowels and consonants and then string these together into words and then into sentences and create pictures in our mind and it did that it was an evolutionary step that went through we don't think anything about reading something now and having this image in our head but you know if you if you go back to the, before the printing press that was a, a skill that our brain didn't really have and the brain answered that when we asked it to do it well the same thing is happening now with what is happening in our culture we are asking our brain in order to function in the culture you have to do this so that I can stay up. And so the brain is is answering that. But at the same time, it's letting go of this ability to concentrate and, and, and quiet itself and be completely present in what we're doing right now. And because we know that, that's the reason why we need to do some things to counteract that so we don't lose that ability. Now, that's really interesting that you mentioned that our minds are being stimulated from multiple directions, especially in this day and age. I just read yesterday that when cars were introduced, the speed limit was five miles per hour. But these days, we seem to be multitasking even at 80 miles per hour, right? Which means more stress and less focus overall. But we just don't realize it, isn't it? It feels normal. You know, we, we operate in a state yeah. of distraction all the time, but it feels normal to us. You know, we've forgotten what it feels like to be fully engaged in something. Got it. Now, one of the incredible techniques that you speak about in your book is the thought awareness technique. What exactly is this? Well, you know, people said, well, how do I learn to be more in the in the present? And my response yeah. to that is you have to know when you're not. 
<laughs> okay. So you can't change that. You can't bring yourself into the present if you're not if you're not aware when you're not in the present. And that's really the catch. Because what happens is, as I said earlier, our brain doesn't like being in the present moment. It gets bored with that. There's no, you know, it, it wants to run around and, and handle a bunch of things. So it does. And because we have followed it our whole life. Um, we have habitualized this manner of operating, and so we're, we just follow the mind around and become absorbed in what it is and react to whatever thoughts and emotional content that it's firing off. So to me, the way that you uh, counteract that is with through thought awareness training. And you know, thought awareness training, to me, you can use the word meditation. I don't, I don't generally use meditation because it has a lot of different connotations for different people. And I would say I would define meditation or if thought awareness training it's like reading reading is two things it's a skill and it's a tool you have to learn the skill and once you learn the skill you have the tool so when you learn the skill of reading now you have this tool and you can use that tool to read a book on investing a book on raising kids a cookbook a book on a religious text to inspire you you can use that tool for all these different things but it is a skill that you develop and thought awareness training is the same thing you learn the skill of being two things being aware of what your mind is doing without your permission and learning to pull the mind back onto task once you have that skill then you begin to able to use it to focus the mind on different things to pull you back into the present moment to be aware of when you're not in the present moment you can you can use it to be aware of there's a big difference between having an impatient thought and being aware that you're having an impatient thought and being impatient when you're being impatient you're absorbed in your impatience when you have an impatient thought it's like you're um i look at it as like it's like a conversation like if you were to use the example of worrying, if you have a conversation with someone who is worrying about something and you ask them, what do you, what do you, what's going on? They say, I'm worrying about this. Now you are not worrying. You're talking to someone who is worrying and you're observing someone who's worrying. And that's really what happens through thought awareness. You begin to separate from your thoughts and you realize that I am not my thoughts. I'm the one that experiences my thoughts. And some thoughts I initiate through my intention and other thoughts, in fact, most of the thoughts my mind produces on its own and I react to them. So I want to stop that. I want to be just the observer of the thought. And the, the closer I can get to that, I don't think we can ever be there all the time, but we can certainly get a lot farther along than most of us are in our daily life. Then we begin to empower ourselves with the privilege of choice. Once you are separated from your mind, you can watch what your mind's doing and then you can say, this thought, I know where this thought's going to take me. I know how it's going to make me feel. It's not productive. It doesn't serve my purposes. It doesn't serve my happiness. So I'm going to direct the mind over to here. Now, this is something that, going back to the worrying thing, if you say to somebody, well, worrying is a thought. If you didn't think, you couldn't worry because thought is the vehicle for worry. So just stop the thought. Well, I was raised, you, you, can't, help, you can't help that. You're, you can't help your emotions. You can't help your feelings. And that's not true. It, um, we just haven't been taught that we can, and we haven't been taught to be aware of our thoughts. Uh, we've just we've just been absorbed in our thoughts. So that really is what thought awareness is. Thought awareness is a training that teaches you to the two things: be aware of your thoughts, and by pulling your mind back, it's like a repetition and exercise. Every time you do that, your will strengthens. So now you have the the object, the the privilege of choice, and the strength to make the choice. It accomplishes both of those things. And you know, we're talking about ten to fifteen minutes a day. It's um, it really isn't it isn't a big sacrifice to make. And the the amount that it empowers you is it's really unimaginable. So there you go, Action Tribe. Thought awareness is a practice, but the step one of that practice would be to become aware of those moments when you're not in the present moment. Right. So become aware of when you're not in the present moment. Maybe you're thinking about the past or of the future and become an observer of your thoughts. And obviously, number two is during those moments, pull your mind back into the present moment, into what you're trying to get focused on doing, uh, because the idea is to realize that you are not your thoughts. You are someone that is experiencing your thoughts, but not your thoughts themselves. Now, Tom, you've written about pre-meditated procedures in your book. And how 
they help with navigating situations. What exactly are these procedures? Well, the procedures can be for anything. I really, procedures became very apparent to me as, as far as their values when I uh, got my pilot's license years ago because in flying, they're very aware of the, the need to remove emotion from uh, situations and also to be constantly focused in the present moment. So they have a procedure for everything. When you walk up to the airplane to go flying, there's a a procedure for walking around the outside of the airplane and looking at it to make sure that it is ready to fly. And then when you get in the airplane, there's a procedure before you start the engine to make sure internally the airplane's ready to fly. And then after you start the engine, there's a procedure to make sure everything is working correctly there. There's a procedure for taking off. There's a procedure for landing. Everything is a procedure. And when you practice these procedures over and over again, what happens is that they do pull you back into the present moment. They do allow you to escape the drama of the emotions that can be in, in situations. So here's an example. When I was asked to solo for the first time, you know, I had this vision. You know, we, we went to an airport uh, and the instructor got out of the airplane and I didn't know he was going to do that. And he said, OK, I want you to solo. And what you have to do for your certificate is you have to do three full stop takeoff and landings in the pattern. So I had to take the airplane off, do fly around the pattern, come back, set up the landing, land the airplane and come to a complete stop, go through that three times. And in my mind, I'd only been flying 10 hours, which was the least amount that the FAA would allow before you were wow. allowed to fly the airplane. So in my mind, I thought, I can't believe I'm going to take this airplane off and I'm going to be completely by myself in three-dimensional space. Because it's not like a car where, you know, if you got into a panic, you could just take your foot off the gas and pull over to the side of the road. You can turn the airplane upside down pretty easily. You can, you can definitely end your life. So yeah. I had this feeling like this is going to be uh, a panic situation. I, I, it, was, it was really very uh, anxiety-laden. But what I found was... I rolled out onto the, the runway. As soon as I hit the throttle to take off, it was a procedure that I had done so many times up until then that I just dropped into this procedure. And I, it was very anticlimactic. I thought, well, this, there's nothing to this. I just did everything I had practiced over and over again. And I did the three takeoffs and landings. It was no big deal. And it really made an impression on me of the value of knowing the, uh, of having a procedure and, and practicing it so you could drop back to it. Now, later, I began to use procedures in situations where I felt that I struggled, it, whether it was a particular person who was difficult to deal with or a, a, a type of situation that would repeat itself in my life on a regular basis. And I would notice because my awareness of my thoughts was going up through my training. So I would aware, be in these situations and, and I would have anxious thoughts and I would be, I'm having anxious thoughts. I need to work on this. I would be separate from them. So I thought, how do I deal with this? Well, I realized through the training in, in flying that you need to make your decisions on how to handle a situation when you're not in the situation because you don't have the clarity and there's too much emotional content when you're in the, the situation. So I began to look at situations that I found stressful and to say, if I could do anything in this situation that I want, if I could process this situation any way that I want, if I could act any way in this situation that I want, what would that be? And that was, again, outside of the situation. And then I would sit there in a totally present moment and come up with a procedure of how I was going to react in that situation. And then I would decide on a trigger. What is going to be the trigger that sets this situation off? So if, for example, it's a particular person it could be when that person comes in the room, there's the trigger. Now my procedure is set up and ready to run. And I found that by doing this, what happened was it put me completely in the present moment and it put me out uh, untouchable by the emotion because all I was doing was repeating a procedure that I had practiced in my mind and I had made these decisions on. And the effect of that for me, in difficult situations or situations that I felt that I struggled in was incredible, and it definitely relieves stress. So I think procedures are very powerful. It's the reason why we teach them to emergency response technicians um, and, you know, and pilots. It's so that they, can, they have something to fall into when they get in a situation that could pull them into a lot of emotional content. Got it. So what I'm hearing is that procedures help us take out the emotion or the drama from an important undertaking. And flying is an industry that definitely needs a clearly defined and emotion-free procedure, right? Because you sort of highlighted the stakes that were involved. If you make a mistake when you're in a plane, 
you lose your life. And when you're 30 feet high above the earth or in a tense situation, as you mentioned, a procedure can help you attain the outcome that you want without the emotions, without a drama, without the heightened stress that you might experience when you're in that moment. So, Tom, what are certain procedures that a person can create or systemize in their day-to-day life? Well, one is thought awareness training. That's, you know, that is a procedure. And, you know, I think uh, it's very easy. You know, I, you know, there are things, guided meditations, I do not think are, uh, they're very powerful and wonderful, but they're not applicable to thought awareness training because they require you to think. Someone is giving you instructions and that requires the mind to process it. And that's really not what we want. We want, we want our mind to be as still as, as possible and we want to just watch what our mind does while we're asking it to be still. And so the two procedures for that are either a breath-based or a phrase-based. So if you're doing a breath-based, then what you do is you sit quietly, close your eyes. You want to basically isolate yourself from exterior uh, distractions and uh, you watch your body breathe. Now, if you're going to use a breath-based, the temptation is to control your breath. It's interesting. You know, we, our body knows how to breathe. We don't pay attention to it at all until we pay attention to it. <laughs> when we pay yeah. attention, we start trying to control it. And uh, we don't want to do this. We don't want to resist that. Just watch the body breathe. And that's all there is to that. And now if you're using a phrase based, uh, the phrase can be anything for our purposes. It can be, I am still, I am calm, I am happy. It really doesn't matter. You're basically just trying to give the mind one thought to run through its processor and um, and to repeat that thought so that it's not running around like a toddler in a toy store. And you just basically repeat that phrase to yourself in your mind. Now, what will happen, and I think it's very important for people to understand this if they've never done this before, is that very quickly the mind will become bored and it will run off and start visiting things and you will go with it because you've always gone with it in the past. And mm-hmm. at some point you will wake up and you will realize that you are working on a report, you're at the grocery store, you're having a conversation with somebody, and you're not watching your breath or you're not saying your phrase. And it's in that moment, and this is the, this is the key, it's in that moment that everything happens. In that moment, your awareness has expanded, and as you pull your mind back, your ability to direct your will has expanded. Those are the two things that we talked about that you get. And so the mistake that people make is that they feel like they say to me, I'm not very good at this. And I ask them why. And they say, because I'm always chasing my mind. And my response is, well, you can't chase your mind if you're not noticing what your mind is doing. If you weren't noticing it, you would just be in your mind. So when you're noticing your mind and when you're chasing your mind a lot, it means that you're noticing your mind and your awareness is growing and you're getting lots of reps in, like exercise of pulling the mind back. So that's a good thing. And some days your mind will be agitated and depending on what's going on in your life and you'll be running around a lot chasing it and other days it will be calmer uh, and you won't feel like you're doing that. But I think that that's, you know, thought awareness training is a procedure that you really need to have. That What that does is it gives you the ability to look at other areas of your life and create procedures for them. Then you, Because then when you are in a situation where you're struggling, instead of being in your struggle, you will be aware that you're having struggling feelings. And then you can say, I need to make a procedure for this, whatever that is, whether it's job interviews, you know, you can't, you can't become good at job interviews unless you go through them. So you need the procedure uh, so that you can create a, a process to execute, but then you need the situation to execute it so that you can get repetitions in and get better at it. So it's just all part of this. To me, it's, it's all interrelated. You need the awareness to free you and to give you the opportunity to make the choices of, I need procedure for this because this is something that makes me uncomfortable. And so to me, you have to start with a thought awareness training and that's what opens up the door and says okay now i can start to look at my life and see where i need the procedures plus the awareness allows you when you're in the situation to be aware that you're feeling that way and that that's also uh, uh, that allows you to activate your trigger whatever the trigger is mm-hmm. so so tom let's go back in time now to the day that you first heard about mindfulness what was your reaction like I first learned about meditation or mindfulness. Um, I really had no idea what it was because my mind was never in the present moment. Okay. Um, I remember when I realized how, and this is something I've done with people many times in talks and things. I will tell people, I want you to sit, I'll be up in, in front of a, a large group of people and I'll just say, look, this is what we're going to do. We're going to sit here for two minutes 
We're going to close our eyes, and I want you to stop thinking for just for two minutes. Well, nobody can do it. And what happens is when they wake up from that, and I, I go, how did you do it? And everybody's saying, I, I just couldn't do it. I can't believe my mind was here and there. And so for many people, it's the first time in their life that they, they have this realization that their mind will not obey them even when they're telling it do this, it still disobeys them and goes off. And that's how it was for me when I was in my late teens and I first heard about meditation mm. and I heard about mindfulness and I started trying to be more mindful. I realized how little control I had over my mind and I realized how overactive it was. And that was when I realized that um, I needed to change that. And then as, be- as soon as I began to experience mindfulness, even in a very small period of time, and that's what's important, you know, my sister one time called me on the phone and she said, you know, I tried to be in the present moment yesterday and I wasn't very good at it. And I said, well, the problem with the statement you just made was the word yesterday. I said, you can't, I said, you can't be mindful all day long. I said, so you should, what you should do is say, I'm going to be mindful. I'm going to work at being mindful from nine o'clock to 10 after nine. Let's just see what I, what it feels like and if I can do it. I said, but when you start to say, I'm going to be mindful today, I said, you've given yourself an impossible task, even for someone that works at it all the time. And I think it's very important to understand that. But once you begin to experience what it feels like to be totally absorbed, to be fully engaged in the present moment, to be completely mindful in what you're doing, it's such an amazing There's no stress. There's no um, bad emotion. Their productivity goes up. There's a contentment and a joy that's there. Uh, Time completely changes. Then you want more, and then it begins. That becomes your inspiration, and then you see the reason for working at it and for having the practice. So thanks a lot for sharing all those amazing insights and stories so far. If you had to tell one of your students to go out in the world and take one action, just one, what would that one action be? Um. I think what I would do is is tell them to put themselves in a position that they feel they struggle in, to put themselves there purposely, um, whether that's talking in front of people, whether that's um, job interviews, if they're looking for a job, obviously, if they're not looking for a job, they don't want to put themselves in that position. <laughs> but to put themselves in, in that position and experience being the noticer of their thoughts so they can really begin to see um, the difference between being in their thoughts and being the watcher of their thoughts. And, um, and because there's, there's a very, very distinct difference there, and the feeling is very distinct. Because I feel like if you can do that, if, um, that's when you begin to go, oh, this is what that feels like. And again, then you begin to see what it feels like to be the observer, to, to be aware uh, and to be separate from your mind. And that to me is the, it's the key to the prison door. That's what really opens you up to a whole, new, a whole new paradigm, a whole new way of thinking, a whole new way of processing every day. And you begin to see that uh, I am not my thoughts, as we said earlier. I'm the one that experiences the thoughts. I and mean, that's why when you go into a situation like that with the intention, I'm going to put myself in a situation that makes me uncomfortable, then you you have this awareness before you go in because you already made the decision that this is why you're going in there. And I would also say that when what this allows you to do is when you feel like you're struggling in a situation – this separation allows you to look at this in a different way. When you feel like you're struggling in a situation, it's because you're up against a personal threshold of ability. You're in the process of learning how to deal with that particular situation. The situations that you deal with effortlessly are because you've already mastered them. So when you feel a particular type of a situation, and to use the job interview thing again, when you feel that that makes you uncomfortable, when you're in a job interview and you're feeling really uncomfortable, if you can realize that that's because I have not mastered this, it's perfectly normal to feel this way because I'm unsure of how to handle this because I'm gathering data because I'm in this this cycle of learning and refining. And that's the reason why I'm having this feeling. You know, when we say the word struggle, uncomfortable, they're just labels for a feeling that is going on inside of us. And with thought awareness, because you're separate from that feeling, you can notice the feeling and say, this means I'm in a situation, this feeling that I'm having, if you stop looking at it as uncomfortable and struggle, and you look at this as an indication that I'm in a state of expansion, I'm in a state of learning. When you do that, then you can see the situation as an opportunity um, to push that threshold because, as I said earlier, you know, you can't – 
you can't get good at a situation unless you're in the situation. So you need repetitions of going in through the situations. So you, you prepare for the situation with your awareness. Then you go into the situation and you observe how you handle the situation. Then you refine that procedure for the next time that you're in that situation. And you can begin to see that um, feeling nervous, you want to use that label, it's not a sign of lacking confidence. It's a sign of being in a state of learning and expanding. And then what happens is, is that changes your experience, your interpretation of that feeling, and it changes your experience of, of the moment that you're in that situation, which changes your ability to perform in the situation. So action drive for today's show notes. Visit my7chakras.com forward slash 175. That's my7chakras.com forward slash 175. We need to be aware of suffering, but we must retain our clarity and strength so we can help transform the situation. This is an amazing quote by Thich Nahan. Action Tribe, two reasons why I think this quote is powerful is because firstly, in case you're suffering, make sure that you're aware of the fact that you're suffering instead of hiding it or ignoring it. And secondly, once you're aware of your suffering, it's important to have a sense of clarity and strength, the strength to endure the clarity to go in the right direction and the determination that you're not going to give up, come what may. Because if you have these three qualities within you, challenges will truly become the life lessons that will help you evolve. And Tom, this is the phase where we talk about life's challenges. So talk to us about a major challenge that you've experienced in your life. Firstly, how did you encountered a situation and then how did you react to it well i guess a good example for me would be when i decided that i wanted to uh, when i initially wrote the practicing mind i thought well what i could do is i had this service business that was extremely successful and i was working seven days a week and sometimes 70 hours a week and so i had this idea that i knew i couldn't continue that pace throughout my life i, I knew i wouldn't be able to uh, stay on that pace as i got older i was just so in demand so I decided I, I wanted to spend the second half of my life working with and impacting people, as many people positively as I could. And I saw the Internet as an opportunity to do that. So that was when I thought, I'm going to write this book. I'm going to create a website and I'm going to put this book on this website. And the Internet is global and I'll have millions and millions of people who will buy my book and I'll just sit back and enjoy it. And that's not the way it went at all. But it was because I didn't have enough information or enough experience in it. So what I did was I made the decision that I was, uh, after trying to publish the book, I couldn't get in with the publisher because nobody knew who I was. I couldn't get an agent because, you know, it was the old bank and credit story. You know, like I couldn't get into a publisher because I didn't have an agent. I couldn't get an agent because I didn't have any books published. <laughs> so it was like that loop. So I knew I was going to have to self-publish the first book. And when I um, tried to do that, I couldn't get the time to do it because of my business schedule. So I decided I was going to have to sell everything. I worked at this business for almost 30 years. And I decided I started when I was a teenager and I decided I'm going to have to sell. I had tens of thousands of dollars in tooling, two commercial business properties, uh, thousands of clients, um, all kinds of accounts. And I just thought I'm going to, I'm just going to sell everything and walk away from it and just work at this book. And it was a, it was a really gutsy move. I had kids that were going to be in two daughters that were going to be in college within a couple of years. A lot of people thought I was absolutely crazy for doing it. Uh, I was putting myself in a very stressful situation, uh, but I was willingly do it, willingly doing it. But I was also naive to how difficult it was going to be. So what ended up happening was I sold everything. That all went very well, and I ended up cash rich and had all the time in the world and a bunch of money in the bank to uh, to produce this book. But as I started to do that, I put the book out there. I recorded the audio version in my recording studio and put it out there. And I was selling two books a week. And I thought, this needs to change because this money I have in the bank isn't going to last forever. And these kids are going to be in college. And so I was very ill prepared for that. And that was a challenge that I wasn't expecting. And as time went on, what I had, you know, the, what I didn't realize, and there's a chapter I'm fully engaged um, talking about um, making when you create goals, create them with accurate data. And I did not have that accurate data. And the reason that that's important is because when we create goals, 
we have a tendency to always create a time frame for accomplishing the goal along with it. It happens at the same time, and generally we don't have a lot of information about that, but we do it anyway. And then we begin to judge our progress based on this timeline, this arbitrary timeline that we have come up with. And what that does is it can create a feeling of failure. It can steal your confidence away, even though you may be moving very quickly. And so an example I've given many, many times is if you take someone who wants to lose 20 pounds and they say, you know what, I'm going to lose 20 pounds and that should take me 10 days. Well, see, that's absurdity. We can all see that when we look at that. We go, there's no way you're going to do that. And so what happens though, but if you're that person, even though you may be dieting and your nutrition is excellent and your exercise is excellent, you are not going to lose 20 pounds in 10 days. So what happens is you begin to, you know, five days into it, you get on the scale and you begin to judge your ability to lose weight based on what you're seeing on the scale. And you, your confidence is tied into that and all these things. And that's what happened to me. And that I began to feel like maybe this isn't going to happen. Well, it was all happening very well. I just didn't know it was happening very well, and it created a, um, you know, I had to use everything I had written about in the practicing mind to stay present in the whole process, to just keep using my goal as a rudder and to just stay processed. It actually took years for it to happen, but as I stated early on in the sh- in the show, the book ended up being um, a, a worldwide bestseller, but it, it was like I don't want to say a 10-year overnight success, but it, it took it a while to happen, and it was my that was my challenge that I had to learn, and I, I learned an awful lot about that through that, and that's why I wrote about it in Fully Engaged. Well, thanks a lot for sharing your story with us. If you had to share with our listeners one major life lesson uh, from your story, what would that one major life lesson be? I have found that um, when I... When I'm anticipating something, when I'm feeling stressed, when I'm feeling impatient, it's always an indication to me that I am not in the present moment. I am constantly, because my thought awareness has brought me to a point where I notice that and I use it as a trigger to tell myself you're not in the present moment and I pull myself back into the present moment. There is always calmness in the present moment there. And I do this with my daughters. You know, I, they call me on the phone and you know, something they're catastrophizing something in their life. And, um, you know, and I tell them, I mean, instead of, instead of reaching for these problems, just stand still Mm -hmm. and let life come towards you and process each moment at a time. It's amazing when you do that, how your life changes and your experience of your life changes. So for me, that is the, the, the one thing that I always hang on to. Whenever I'm feeling upset or sad or um, you know anxious about something, I, it's always a trigger for me that I'm not in the present moment. And I have found that when I just remind myself of that and I pull myself back into the present moment, that stuff dissolves and I'm able to refocus and, and to find some inner calm. Mm-hmm. So thanks a lot once again for sharing your story. I think your story is really inspirational, largely due to the fact that many of our listeners are trying to make a transition in their lives as well, whether it's a change in business, a change in mindset, a change in habits, because changes are challenging and difficult. And you said that when you wrote your first book, you were working really hard and long hours during the week. And you decided at some point in time that you wanted to make a change in your life and impact people through your book and through the power of the internet. And although you had that clear focus, it that's not how it went initially because you f- realized that you did not have the right information. You did not have an agent. You did not have a book publisher. And you did not, in fact, publish a book before this because this was your first book. And also you did not have the time to focus on your book due to your business taking up a lot of your time, energy, and the fact that you had many clients as well. But you decided to make a difficult decision to sell your business and I'm sure it is was a, such a hard uh, thing to do, especially since you had a family, you had two children. But you took some time to uh, make that decision, but you took that decision. And once you did that, you realized it was the right decision because you had the capital, you had the time, and you now had the energy. And then you decided to write down and create those goals and ensure that you were focusing on the timelines as well. And I think that was the winning combination for you because you were able to not only take action, but also ensure that those uh, timelines were meaningful. And also you were able to embody your lessons that you wrote down in your books 
by staying present at all times. So that's what you taught us today, effectively, is to really stay present in the current moment, no matter what challenge we're going through. So thanks a lot for sharing, Tom. Oh, you're welcome. My pleasure. So Action Tribe, as you take the lessons that you've learned today to put into action, remember that you can't achieve greatness all by yourself. The very fact that you are here, where you are, listening to this episode right now is due to a group of people who've helped you at some point in your life in some way or the other. Maybe your parents, your siblings, your relatives, your friends, your boss, your mentor, whoever that might be, someone who sacrificed things for you. So achieving greatness, in a way, is actually a group effort. And since it's a group effort, make sure that you hang out in the right group, community, or tribe and surround yourself with people who know you, like you, and trust you. Because if you do, you will feel better, you will develop better habits and collectively achieve massive goals. Because as Margaret Mead once said, a small group of thoughtful people could change the world. Indeed, it is the only thing that ever has so, Tom, as on today, what is your life's purpose? My life's purpose is alleviating struggle in people. I can't tell you. Nothing nothing beats that. You know, working with people one-on-one and watching them learn to process their life differently and to experience difficult situations. What There's a word again. That's a label. To experience, to, to transform a difficult situation, what feels like a difficult situation, into a situation that feels in almost, well, I would say, enjoyable. I mean, for example, many times when I'm feeling a situation is, is difficult, I tell myself, um, here it comes, game on. Let's see if I can beat this this time. It's, you know, it completely changes my interpretation of what I'm feeling. Uh, working with people on a daily uh, basis, working with groups of people, being up in front of people and listening to their questions and answering them. It's This is truly my dharma. And it's what I wanted to do when I was back in the service business. And I said, if I could do anything, what would it be? And I thought, I want to write about stuff. I love to think about this stuff. I love to research this stuff. I love to apply it to my life. And I love teaching other people how to do it. Wonderful. Now, out of all the magic moments that you've experienced in your life, has there ever been a defining moment that really changed your life? Yeah. I, you know, interestingly enough, when I was um, in college uh, mm-hmm. during a spring break, I went down south with my sister. The two of us drove down. We had a tent. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and we were sleeping in a campground. And I was not, um, I didn't have anything to do. And I decided I needed to read a book. And when I was in high school, uh, well, I should I should go forward. I went into this gift store, and Richard Bach's book, Jonathan Livingston Seagull, was there. And uh, I recognized the book because some people had read it, and it had been a required reading in some of the English classes when I was in high school. And a lot of them had told me I should read it because he was a pilot and it really kind of related to airplanes and stuff. And I, I just didn't see the, I thought a book about a seagull, get out of here. Um, and, but I bought the book because I had nothing else to do. And I have to say that that was the, what he managed to say in a 102 page book through the eyes of a seagull just blew me away. I just was so um, so impacted by that. And that really made me, I wanted to write something that was like that. And I, I have to say that really changed me. I've read the book so many times, the pages have fallen out. I've had to buy multiple copies. Um, and I would say that book, An Autobiography of a Yogi, I've read that book numerous times. And um, But those were, the, the, the times of reading those books are what really changed what I was experiencing in my life, in my direction. Well, thanks a lot for sharing those moments with us. And with that, we've arrived at the last and final round for today's show, the Wisdom Round, which is basically four questions that need four quick responses so that our listeners can take note and take action. So what is the best advice that you've ever received? Um, The best advice I've ever received would have been to start a meditation practice. That was the best advice that was given to me by uh in a parapsychology class that i studied and that was the first time when i was probably 19 years old when that happened that i would say that's changed my that's that's changed that's definitely a game changer for me so name a personal habit or a daily practice that keeps you strong uh every morning i walk six miles through a wooded path and it's you're surrounded by the it's uh, acres and acres so you're surrounded by 
the sounds of nature. Uh, there's deer, there's fox, there's crickets. Uh, it really does recenter me uh, and get me prepared. It clears my mind. Sometimes I am, it's a walking meditation. Other times I will allow my mind to run. If, my, if I feel like my mind needs to chew on a bone that's uh, bothering me, I will give it permission to do that while I look at the trees and the leaves changing or whatever that is. So every morning I do that, and that is, uh, th- that is very, very necessary for me. I miss it when I, when I can't do it for whatever reason. I walk in the rain. I walk when it's cold. Uh, every, every one of those experiences has something to offer. So what is your morning routine like? Uh, I get up around 4.30. Um, I do a quick read on email, uh, have some breakfast. I usually give my father a quick call. He lives 100 miles away. Uh, talk to him for 15 minutes. After that, I go for a walk. When I come back from the walk, I do about a 45-minute meditation. And then I um, – what I'll call thought awareness training. And then after that, uh, I begin my day. And in my day today is um, – in when I say today, I mean my job is basically writing articles and working with people. So I do those things every morning. I, I go to bed pretty early by most people's standards, between 8 and 9 o'clock. And um, – I usually wake up around four, something like that, and then I, I get up and I'm ready to go. Thanks a lot for sharing. Now, we've spoken about a couple of books, but if you had to recommend one book for our listeners, what would that be? Um, it, it, I guess it would depend on what you're trying to accomplish. You know, there, there, um, for me, um, the, the autobiography of a yogi is if you're looking to expand your awareness of Eastern thought and experiences, that's a that's really a classic, as I said, that I've read several times. The other book is um, George Leonard's Mastery, which is really about how our culture is anti-mastery. He's no longer alive. He uh, wrote the book, I believe, in the late 90s. But it, um, he talks about how when we're working on anything, uh, any skill, uh, there is a lot that's happening in the background. We're just mm-hmm. not aware of it because it hasn't surfaced. So um, and then what happens is we bump up a plateau. But our whole culture is designed to be anti-mastery. And as he says, you know, when we watch television commercials, what they show are the climaxes of everything. The people are driving the expensive car. The people mm-hmm. are on the, the vacation. It never shows people in the process of accomplishing these things or achieving these things. It always shows them they're there. Mm-hmm. And that way we end up feeling um, – that life is passing us by because we don't have these things and we don't want to spend time getting them. We just want to have them. So it's, it's a very good book. Yeah. That's, I think that's really profound because, uh, so true, right? I mean, ads show people who have already experienced, uh, those, uh, you know, traits of success, but they don't show the struggle and the challenges and the issues that people have in the path that leads them there. And that sometimes demoralizes people because it sort of overwhelms them, uh, a lot. So, so thanks a lot for putting that thought into our interview today. <laughs> yeah, and all, like I remember seeing a, a very famous country western music singer say, you know, he was uh, a multimillionaire, and somebody said it must be great to be uh, in your position. And he recounted everything. He said he called it a ten-year overnight success. But I mean, he was broke. He worked as a dishwasher. He went through all these things trying to get record contracts, and it just it was where he was. It was a process that took him years and. But all people saw was him on the stage singing and getting paid all this money. And that's where I think we, um, we really miss the boat. We, we are led to believe that if we don't have this and that and this and that, that um, you know, we're, our life is, is um, falling short of where it should be. And that's really not the case at all. Mm-hmm. That's truly profound. Thanks a lot for sharing. And it was phenomenal today to have you on our show. Before you go, tell us one thing that you're grateful for and tell us the best way we can find you online. What I'm grateful for is that I have the um, the amount of feedback that I have gotten from people that have been exposed to my work. It's uh, I, I really feel that my life is completely fulfilled uh, between these two books because it has allowed me to interact with people all over the world in all different circumstances. Everything from people that are in developing countries trying to become entrepreneurs to capital investment firms in New York. It's just, you know, university presidents to high school students. It's just absolutely amazing. And I'm so grateful that my life has turned out this way. And as far as getting in touch with me, 
Uh, people can find me on tomsterner.com, so just T-O-M-S-T-E-R-N-E-R.com. And from there, they can find my other sites, which is the Practicing Mind Institute. Uh, and also, there is a site specifically for the Practicing Mind book, which gives more information about that. But they can contact me through those sites. They can set up a, a free appointment if they want to talk to me about working with them just to see if we're a good fit. Um, I'd love to talk to you. So, Tom, once again, thank you so much for coming on our show, talking to us about the power of our mind and taking us one step closer to a human revolution. Thank you for having me. I've looked forward to it and I've certainly enjoyed it. You are listening to My 7 Chakras. Go to mysevenchakras.com. Download your free gift, get inspired and take action. Transform your life today. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.